The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, everyone. I'm Aisha Harris, your host of Represent, and you're about to hear our discussion on the ongoing Harvey Weinstein sexual harassment and assault allegations story. Now, because every few hours, it seems a new bombshell drops, I just wanted to let you know that we recorded this on Tuesday, October 17th at 1230 p.m., so... Some of our information might be a little bit outdated by the time you listen to this. Hey, everyone, and welcome to a special episode we're bringing you of Represent, in addition to our regularly scheduled programming dropping later this week. Ever since The New York Times and The New Yorker broke devastating profiles detailing several women's on-the-record allegations of sexual harassment and assault by movie mogul Harvey Weinstein earlier this month, the news and the swift subsequent fallout from the revelations have become impossible to ignore. As Weinstein has been effectively shunned by Hollywood, he was promptly fired by the company that bears his name, and the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, among several other organizations, has rescinded his membership. Dozens of women, including A-list actors like Angelina Jolie and Gwyneth Paltrow, have come forward to share their stories of Weinstein's alleged inappropriate behavior towards them. Weinstein himself unequivocally denies the allegations of non-consensual sex and, quote-unquote, acts of retaliation against any women for refusing his advances. Though, he did admit to, quote, behavior that is not good in a Page Six interview post-revelations. There's a ton to parse through here about our culture of open secrets regarding sexual assault and harassment, male power dynamics, and what this fallout says about how we respond to women's stories of trauma. And joining me today are my wonderful colleagues, Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and Susan Matthews, Slate's science editor. Welcome to the show, ladies. Uh, I'm excited to make my represent debut. Is this really your debut? I believe so, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, you've been on I'm, our show, but I've never been on yours. So well, thank you. I can't believe it took so long, but welcome, Dana. Thank you. And Susan, you're back. I am back. <laughs> I'm happy to be back. Yes. Uh, we're happy, but it's also for like a very depressing topic. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and as... I'm sure people who have not even really been following it, but I'm sure people who just know that it's happening, all of this news cycle, there are so many different tentacles and things to to wrangle, and we're not going to attempt to cover all of them because that would be impossible. We'd be here for hours. But I did want to talk about the, the pieces you both wrote for Slate. Dana, why don't I go with you first? Um, you wrote a really emotional piece about your relationship to covering Hollywood for years now and the like what it means to be seeing all of these prominent women who you've written about and who we all know and have always assumed had a certain amount of power uh, within the industry at least for the last you know however long their careers have been for for years now and how it sort of it, it took you aback and now you feel sort of I don't know what the right word is 
drained. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the, the the reason that I took that tone really was that by the time I wrote about this, which was last Friday, it had already been so covered and responded and reported. I mean, brilliantly reported and reacted to. And I kind of felt, do I have anything new to bring to this conversation besides just another person registering their disgust? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I guess I was trying to chronicle just sort of the perceptual shift that's happened in my mind in the last two weeks or however long since this revelation came out about sexism in Hollywood. It's not as if I would have before this revelation said that Hollywood was not sexist or that there were not, you know, casting couch situations and incidents of abuse and harassment. But it was something about the combination of the magnitude and scale, the length of time that it lasted, uh, the really effective secrecy, you know, including from many people in show business, I think. And uh, and also the level of power that it reached. I mean, I think that's the the lead to my story. Really, is saying like, wait a second here, Angelina Jolie. Like, we're talking about the AAA list of Hollywood actresses, you know, who were subjected to this kind of behavior. And so, so I guess what it really was, in a way, was this kind of retconning of Hollywood. Like, oh, that place that I've been writing about and looking about and thinking about all this time was a different place than I thought it was. There was some kind of rot within this you know, state of Denmark that I wasn't aware of that none of us were. Yeah, I think, uh, and you make this connection in your piece too, Dana, it it was a really remarkable couple of weeks to be happening right around the one-year anniversary of our president being revealed to be this sort of person too. And I think that um, it just can't be underestimated the emotional toll that this takes on Every single person witnessing this news, but particularly on women witnessing this news. Like last week was extraordinarily hard and a lot of us were grappling with these things. And and yes, there were lots of really great pieces, but I thought that your piece really captured like the emotional weight of just having to sit with this realization after you know, we've been through so much in the right. past year. <laughs> and the connection with, you know, Trump and the sexual allegations against Trump are not, it's not some sort of big symbolic leap that us writers are cleverly making. It's just right out there. It's the same thing. And yeah. so um, it, it was maybe that that kind of sense of just like turning over a rock and seeing all the creatures that have been squirming under there the whole time. And particularly in the movies, it's like this place that we all look to for escape and solace in this time. It, it's also there. It's everywhere. There was a beautiful piece that Amy Nicholson wrote this week. I mean, this story continues to be worth covering and worth sort of uncovering new angles on two weeks in, uh, in, in the Village Voice, where she talks about, I think she states really well what I was trying to, to kind of get at in, in looking back at Hollywood with this different eye. She says, imagine a different Hollywood where women are respected as human beings. Really picture it. Picture the films, the posters, the scripts, the auditions, and the award shows where women have a good, as good a chance of winning Best Director as their male counterparts. Equality is at once basic and world-upending. Honestly, it hurts my brain that I've never truly envisioned it before. My own myopia makes me feel ashamed. I understand why people hide their heads and swear the sun circles the globe. I think just that that idea of, of looking back, and she goes back deep into Hollywood history and talks about, you know, the casting couch in the days of Harry Cohn and Louis B. Mayer and, you know, the big studio heads of the 30s and 40s. And to actually kind of imagine there there could have been an alternate history that could have been told all of this time, it is destabilizing and, and makes me feel differently covering Hollywood going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the thing about it to me <clears throat> is that I know, as you mentioned in your piece, you talked about this on the Culture Gap Fest. And, you know, I think it was it Steve who asked you if you were aware of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he asked, like, how were, were you of it while you were covering it? And you couldn't really tell. I know that I've, I remember when that Seth MacFarlane 
joke that he made at the was it at the Oscars or I think it was at the nomination the nomination for the Oscars, for the, Oscars yeah, Oscars the early morning thing yeah the 2012 nominees for best performance by an actress in a supporting role are Sally Field in Lincoln Anne Hathaway in Les Miserables Jackie Weaver in Silver Linings Playbook Helen Hunt in The Sessions and Amy Adams in The Master Congratulations, you five ladies no longer have to pretend to be attracted to Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> and I remember hearing that and I was like, oh, that has to that has to be like everything we've heard about him, like being sort of a creepy dude. But like creepy always felt like separate from for me and creepy seemed to to go very easily with just what I expect a Hollywood mogul to be. I mean, he, he's frequently compared to Louis B. Mayer. Louis, Louis B. Mayer was creepy as fuck. Uh, all of those studio heads were, were creepy. And the casting couch was the casting couch. But I guess my, my own myop, myopic view of these things was I felt like, well, you, it's the game you play when you're in Hollywood. It's like to be expected. Not the assault, but the idea that women would just sleep with whoever in order to get the jobs that they wanted. And it's like painful to, to, to imagine that I thought about it in this way. Like it might've been like that in old Hollywood. I don't think it was. I think a lot of those women we would define today as having been assaulted or having been coerced or non-consensual, but that was something that I just kind of, I don't know. I, I, glossed over it and now to hear this collective cry outcry is what is like just devastating yeah i think that what is so devastating about this is that it and what is so striking about this case in particular is that it takes something that we kind of live in all the time like a weird thing that we know is sort of happening and it really makes explicit what is so wrong about the system that we have accepted as normal? Because what Weinstein was doing is so obviously a premeditated abuse of his power. And so it takes this dynamic that you can kind of look at from the outside and say, okay, I don't really understand what's going on there. And it makes really explicit just how easy it is for men to just routinely extort their position of power at the expense of women. Right. And then and then call it you know, sex addiction, which is yeah. <laughs> which leads a bit into your piece, which was you interviewing a few different scientists about uh, the idea. Harvey Weinstein has claimed that like he has. Well, has he has he said he has an addiction or TM, his people? I, yeah. TMZ reported that he, when he got on his private plane to go to Europe, that he was going to um, that he was admitting that he had a sex addiction. and He was going to a, a rehab center specifically for sex addiction, which I think all serious uh, mental health professionals um, un, I think there was a there's kind of a range of how you acknowledge this. But the idea that we can blame his behavior on sex addiction is just not what is going on here. You can have problems around your compulsions around sex, but what what was happening here is a clear violation and non-consensual behavior, and that can't be explained by sex addiction. Um, Which is just to point out that he does deny that they are these were non-consensual right. acts, just to, you know, be safe. That's uh, true. <laughs> Which is the same thing his brother Bob Weinstein says. You know, mm. Bob Weinstein gave a really excoriating interview to The Hollywood Reporter, I believe it was, about his brother, in which 
he sort of claimed, I mean, he occupied this gray area, which I don't know if Bob Weinstein occupied it, but I'm sure lots of people in Hollywood did, where he knew his brother was a sexist. He knew he was a cheater. He knew that he, you know, had actresses in and out of his hotel room all the time. But I think he consigned it to this zone of consensuality that he just didn't question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a really hard piece for me to write, because I think that the main thing that I found in talking to all of these different therapists and psychiatrists is, what we have to when we when we pull back this sheet and we look we look behind the curtain, Harvey Weinstein is a egregious case because he had so much power and he had so much influence and he had so much money and he had all of these things behind him that let him get away with this for a long time. But the perversion, like the the problem is not a unique problem. And you see that now in the weeks that follow with um, other accusations that are being made with, you know, Me Too and and all of the conversations that are happening around harassment and this kind of unearthing of all of these feelings is that there are so many women who look at this and say, yeah, I have experienced this too. And I just haven't spoken up about it because it didn't seem worth it, which is really, really depressing to me. But when we look at that and we look at the sum of, oh my gosh, that this is a thing that happens all the time everywhere to all of these people, the question is, okay, so what can we do about that? And the really frightening thing that I came away from those conversations thinking is there's no, A, there's no way that we can like prosecute this in our legal system. Like there's no way you can lock all these people up. That's not the answer. So what is it that you do? And um, it was really shocking to me that a lot of the therapists that I talked to said, you know, it's not that he has a sex addiction. He has he clearly has other problems and he could go into therapy and, and and really work on those problems. That is true. But he has to acknowledge what those problems are to start digging in. And just the gray area around that's another gray area of of how much of a chance do you give these people and what do you do and and what do you do when you acknowledge that society has this many people like this is a problem and and we need a large scale way of addressing it. I think there's even to to dive into me too which uh it it gained some traction sunday night uh, or over the weekend over this past weekend after Alyssa Milano tweeted it uh, although it's been brought to the surface that a black woman named Toronto Burke has actually had the me too uh it it wasn't a hashtag because this is before twitter but for like the last decade or so she has started a campaign a movement to uh to give victims of sexual assault and sexual harassment a voice and to voice their their experiences so there there's there's that and i think that i i notice within the me too thing that has been happening on social media on my feeds there's even a gray area with like who's saying me too and who is who is participating um i i noticed some people are just posting me too and instead of there's you could also add a sort of i think there's a general appendage where you say repost this if you've been a victim of sexual assault or sexual harassment and I've seen people who just post Me Too and then people are like, oh, what is this? And someone else will say it's for victims of sexual assault. And sexual assault and se- sexual harassment are two very different things. And some people would say that one is worse than the other. I mean, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be the person who tries to like it's it's not a discussion I want to have. But even just that hashtag alone speaks to how complicated all of this is and how 
it's great that we're having these conversations, but I just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, I feel like Harvey Weinstein, and I've mentioned this a few times, like in Slack, and I've asked a few people this, but I feel like Harvey is the fall guy. And I worry that there's so many other people, prominent people like himself and and normal people who are, you know, going to get away with these things and our culture isn't necessarily going to change for the better. I mean, him getting kicked out of the the Producers Guild, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences is great, but like, isn't Roman Polanski still in the Academy? Is right. It, isn't Willie Allen? And so, Harvey like, Weinstein wrote a letter of you know, support for, for Roman Polanski at some point during some legal struggle or other. So yeah, right. there's a sense that there's a whole network of them out there, right? Supporting yeah. each other. Yeah. Yeah. And so far with me too, it's like, it's remarkable to watch because the onus is still on the people who have already suffered to to take the initiative to speak up about this and do something about it. And I think that if you, when you, when we look at, okay, this is a moment in our culture, is something going to change in a, in a, in a actually fundamental way? That question is not about are women going to speak up and change this? Because women have been speaking up about this for a very long time, as you correctly note. Right. The, the question is, are the people who actually hold the power going to hold themselves accountable and and speak up about their their the ways that they perpetuate this cycle? That is the that until we cross that line, I, I don't really have that much hope that this is a fundamental shift. Yeah. But then there's argu- <laughs> this is why it's so tricky. Like, then there's arguments I've seen. I've had. You know, people I know on Facebook, males, uh, both straight or cis or queer or any of those identifying um, uh, descriptors who have posted their own experience of either sexual harassment, sexual assault or their their complicitness or even their actual actions of sexual harassment, like admitting to having harassed or assaulted women. And I've seen pushback from that as to don't make this all about you. But it it is kind of is about them because like the whole point is we want I like I I don't want everyone and I, I imagine I don't think I know a single woman who hasn't had something happen to them, even if it's being followed down the street and like while walking down the street in the middle of the night. Like even something like that. We we live some sort of trauma, I think, for a lot of people. And I think that the men, I'd, I'd rather see just just like last weekend where we had the women boycott Twitter, mm-hmm. which to me felt backwards because the whole point is that we don't have a voice and then we're going to willingly take away like men should boycott Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to me, again, it's just like we're doing all the work and especially women of color are doing all the work and and men are just, you know, the the few who are speaking up, I want them to keep speaking up and saying things and, and not just speaking up, but actually taking action in real life. Well, Susan, you were also remarking that all these stories seem to be reported by teams of, of female reporters, which right. in a way is great. Like, sisterhood is powerful. But yeah, shouldn't it be guys who are digging into this as well? Right. It's really the question of, like, I and it's so interesting to hear and talk about the idea of of men speaking up and saying, yes, I have perpetuated this in this way. And it's just such a hard thing to navigate because anybody becoming aware of that is like a great thing. And we want that to happen. But again, the the labor is on the people who are on the other side to like help bring them across. It's on the women of color who are yeah. already like really far over here to help everybody else along. I My experience after all of last week was like to have multiple of my male friends come to me and be like, I think maybe I've done something creepy. And it's just like, I, 
okay, I don't want to be the yeah. one what do you do to with that? Sherpa you through that process. <laughs> like, I'm dealing with enough right now. Yeah. And like, uh, g- good, go think about that alone. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. think it's really, there have been a lot of women who have been standing up and saying, if you feel worried about your actions, like maybe just take a couple of days to think about this alone and then figure out how you can actually be supportive. But it, it's a, it's really tricky because we don't want to isolate those people who are coming into this awareness either. Well, I think that, you know, all of that aside, there's also something that I've been sort of mulling over and it's, it's, it's just such a thorny topic to get into. I noticed that uh, pretty much all the women who have come forward so far who allege that these things happened uh, have been white women. I think there may have been one or two who aren't, but it's been mostly white women, which I think says to me, you know, it, it says a big it, it, there's a bigger thing going on with what Hollywood, who the gatekeepers are and and how in Hollywood it's still so difficult to be a woman of color and get jobs it does to me speak larger volumes about like women's place women of color's place within hollywood yeah i'm really glad you brought that up because another you know retcon moment for me of looking back and seeing hollywood in a different way is just seeing how racism is baked into sexism in this way in this story right and the moment that came up for me was during the women boycott twitter which i actually did the boycott largely because i was just so disgusted with reading about all this after having you know read enough to write that story that I usually take the weekends off Twitter anyway. It was a Friday. I thought, fine, like I'm out. Yeah. And uh, and then upon getting back on on, I don't know, Sunday or something, I saw that Women Boycott Twitter itself had become really divisive in a racial way and that it was being regarded as essentially kind of a, a white women's protest. And a lot of women of color were doing their own hashtag, which was what, what was it? WOCA affirmation, right? Yes. And Ava DuVernay was one of the largest, uh, the biggest voices to kind of call this out and, and say, you know, where was all this... Uh, Solidarity for Jamel Hill, ESPN Jamel Hill, when she got into water a few weeks ago. I mean, it seemed to me at that moment, I I think I kind of realized it's true. It is all white women that he harassed that we know about so far. Right. And uh, it was sort of Rose McGowan who was leading the charge on Twitter. And then she had this really racially tenured and insensitive tweet during that whole period that people rightly responded to with offense. And uh, and, and it made me sort of wish that I hadn't boycotted, not even to necessarily make any statement, but that. What does the boycott accomplish? As you say, Susan, I mean, if, if you're going to sort of advance the conversation by dropping out of the conversation, that doesn't really make sense. And I kind of, while I was happy to to have some time away from social media, I kind of wish that I had not hashtagged it in that way because it's so easy for those things, these kind of hashtag meme I don't know what you'd call them, like performative protests to spiral out of what they began as. Right. Yeah. It's really hard to... It's like the lesson, the continuous lesson of the personal is political and how do we move between these spaces? Because after last week, I think it's incredibly understandable for any any woman, any person to have experienced that and said, I need a break. I need some time for myself. Um, but when you look at the reality, it tends to be people of privilege who are able to take that time from for themselves. And that is something that we all have to be aware of, of who can say, OK, I'm going to remove myself from this conversation for this period, but then I'll be able to jump back in and and why that is possible for some groups of people and not as possible for others um the whole the whole thing is is really murky and really hard and i think 
my my take is that I think it requires just like fundamentally a lot more listening um, from any person who has a position of power in this situation. What I want them to do is listen. Um, but then that puts the onus on the people who are most affected to to be the ones speaking up. So that is also fraught. There's obviously a lot to parse through here, but I do want to sort of latch onto this last thing you mentioned uh, before we go, which is the idea of the onus being on women to tell these stories. And I think it it is important to sort of point out that there have been several or at least two prominent male actors who have come forward to talk about their own experiences with sexual harassment. One of them was Terry Crews, um, who said that just recently, actually, he was fondled by a big Hollywood honcho in front of his wife. Um, so that was that was, I think, a powerful thing to to witness as him come forward to talk about that. And then we also had James Vanderbeek saying that when he was younger in Hollywood, there were many times where he was he experienced harassment or assault or groping of, of some sort. And Corey Feldman is another person. Well, who's... Corey Feldman's been doing this for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But somebody who's yeah. spoken up in the wake of Weinstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's another I guess another example of like no one really listened. I feel like people just assume if you're a child star that like that's gonna happen um which is sad i think it helps contextualize that this really this in a lot of ways isn't necessarily about sex it's about power Mm -hmm. and it's about maintaining power and so anytime somebody can realize oh these power dynamics can be shifted on me um i think it really makes it clear that you know, this is a problem that everybody sh- would benefit. M- almost all people would benefit from uh, us having better recourse about these things, having a better way to talk about these things, having a, a better society that believes people when they talk about these things initially, um, and really understanding this is a this is a power dynamic problem. And the more that we can recognize that, uh, I think the better equipped we are to start down the path of solving it. And I think, I mean, how the size of the task before us is is pointed up even by the fact that the three of us, who I think probably all identify pretty strongly as feminists, right, and as taking the side of women, have been kind of gobsmacked by the breadth and amplitude of this scandal. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's, I don't know what else to say. There's, there's a lot to say. Um, and I'm sure that this story will just keep unfolding for a while. It's been almost two weeks now as of this recording. And more people might come forward and 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 launch accusations. And Harvey Wein, uh, Harvey Weinstein is obviously he was already very uh, he was he was a well, what's the word for Sue Happy what? litigious litigious <laughs> yes thank you he was already a very litigious person uh, but it seems like he's planning on suing quite a few people in the next uh, month or so so everyone will be keeping tabs on that and the fallout will continue and. Yeah, thanks so much to both of you for parsing through this really difficult topic. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Aisha. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, Represent is produced by the lovely, amazing Berlin Williams. Our excellent social media assistant is Marissa Martinelli. And our intro-outro music is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. We'll be back later this week with a new episode all about the Netflix documentary, The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. Until next time. Mm